This has been Modern Being Human, a podcast about contemporary society. Today I'm joined by Michelle Alanisi, who is a cultural connectivity consultant. She's a person building bridges between East and West, or West and East, if you prefer. In this episode, we'll talk about one of the most important aspects of modern life in this globalized world, how to find mutual understanding with people coming from different cultures and backgrounds. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you for joining me today. So uh, you come from uh, a family of doctors. You have uh, medical training yourself. You live in London and you started a consulting company together with your sister. This company helps healthcare professionals and their patients from the East understand each other. Tell me a little bit about your professional journey, about your background. How did that consultancy start? Of course. And, and thank you very much for inviting me to be on the show. And the purpose of your show as well is something that I, I naturally gravitate to. And of course, that we saw company gravitates to because it's, we're both covering the same central point, connecting people in this globalized world. In terms of my background, like you mentioned, I do come from a family of doctors. It does get a little bit confusing when we get posts in the mail, because if it says Dr. Alan Easy, <laughs> we don't know who it's for. But it's also helped me grow up in the medical sphere. And what I found very interesting as I was growing up in, in a medical family, my grandfather's a doctor, my father's a doctor as well, is I realized regardless of what country we'd visit on holiday, they seemed to very easily connect to other doctors from other countries as well. They all spoke the same medical language. They had something that connected them. And what I really liked about it as well as a career is that you see how we as human beings are so similar to each other, regardless of where we come from and regardless of what our backgrounds are. We all have similar concerns. We all have similar wants. We want to have what's best for our families. We want to thrive as a community. So I love the, the, the premise of it and this kind of global aspect to, to the healthcare industry and how it, it really transcends geographical borders. So I think even starting off as a doctor, I was very much gravitated towards that. In terms of my journey to become a healthcare consultant, it happens just by nature, I think. I've always been interested in other cultures. I, I was very fortunate to have experienced a lot of cultures growing up because although I grew up in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, and I was immersed, of course, with the Arab culture and the Middle Eastern culture, which is so rich and vibrant, I was always very much encouraged by my family to constantly go to summer schools internationally and particularly in London, where we were exposed to students from all over the world. I managed to learn words in different languages, and I was so fascinated to see how people can achieve similar results in different ways. And then that really grew and continued on when I started working as a doctor, in particular working as a Middle Eastern doctor in London. Around 40% of the, the private patients in London are from the Middle East. So I felt I really had two jobs. I was working as a doctor, but also as a translator, but not just a translator between languages. I was also translating culture and helping the doctor, my colleagues, my, my doctor colleagues better understand the patient and vice versa. And I saw the massive impact that had on that patient's care 
how they were better able to understand their treatment plan and adhere to it, how we were able to tweak things to better suit their way of life and their lifestyle to make it more achievable uh, for them in terms of goals. And, and we saw that there was really a gap. There's actually a general gap in healthcare between patients and doctor. Around maybe only 20% of the treatments we do in healthcare involved true formal consent. And there's a lot of trust that the patient just has in the doctor and they take the treatment because they trust you, but they don't necessarily always understand what the treatment is. That statistic's probably lower if you're looking at, you know, people to come from a bit different backgrounds and don't necessarily speak the language. So we really wanted to improve and develop the care that patients were getting, regardless of their background, and figure out what is the recipe to be an internationally minded doctor. And that's really what we provide as a service through USAD. That's exciting. And when did you start uh, the company? How long has it been up and running? How has it evolved over time? Usually many people have uh, an initial idea when they start a company or any other venture, but then it changes over time because they have to adjust to the circumstances, to the situation. The company was initially founded by my sister. And we named it Wisal because it was a name that also binds us. So Wisal in Arabic means the essence of connecting. But for us on a personal level, it's also the name of my late grandmother who loved to connect people. She was a school headmistress and uh, also an author, poet. Uh, she was absolutely magnificent with language and understanding other people. And we felt that it was the perfect name because it's also something that binds us as, as sisters in common. So I joined the company in September, uh, around, I think, September 2017, if I'm not mistaken, but definitely 2017. And myself and my sister started to target in particular private providers of healthcare in the London area who were particularly looking at improving their outreach with patients coming from the Middle East. So we would provide them with analyses of their current cases, speak to different members of staff and see their experience. We'd really go into detail, more so because it's something that we're interested and passionate about. So we really love to see how we can bring ideas closer to each other. And also from our perspective, although we come from the Middle East, it just gave us even more so of a drive to better understand our own culture and how to really explain it better and help maybe um, uh, the, the real goal that we're trying to achieve is to showcase the, the, the message that we really are all human. We're very similar. We might do things slightly differently, but if we show you the perspective, you might actually just see that, ah, it's actually very similar to what we do as well. It's just it's different circumstances, different environment, different climate, et cetera, that, that people start acting in, in maybe a different way, but really trying to achieve the same goals. In terms of the growth, myself and my sister have been working on this since 2017. We are looking at the moment we've launched, we wanted to make the information that we've gathered so far more accessible to the general public. And more recently, we've launched the We Saw Aspire podcast more so focused on just summarizing a lot of our ideas and making it more accessible to everyone, even beyond the healthcare industry. Oh, wonderful. 
let's talk about some uh, specific examples of uh, situations where misunderstanding arises and how you help solve it. More about that, please. <laughs> I think one of them happened before we started the company, but it was something that it was a penny drop moment for me in terms of realizing, oh, this is such an important part of healthcare uh, because healthcare is just so personal and you need to maybe sometimes understand the patients better to, to know how to treat them. So I was at the time uh, training um, as a senior house officer in, in the UK in London. And I had a patient who originally um, was from China. And the patient presented at the time with what we believed was uh, a heart attack, so a cardiac infarction. And we wanted to start her on the regular medications and the regular, we were, she was for medical treatment, so we we're going to start her on medications. And the patient refused and wanted to have acupuncture. And it was a challenge for the team because we felt we had our duty of care as doctors to provide her what we, what we believed was the standard of care and what was gold standard. And the patient had her own ideas. She said, I really want acupuncture. I don't want to put these medications in my bloodstream. I don't know what their side effects are. And despite how much we were trying to explain our perspective, it was very difficult to connect to the patient. And at the time, I remember I spoke with my father for some advice. Of course, we always maintain patient confidentiality, but we're so just to how to deal with the situation because he's a doctor as well. And he has some experience working with China. And what he told me, it was so true. He said, I think you should go and learn about acupuncture. How do you expect this person to trust you and to trust the medications you're giving her if you don't even understand what she's trying to say to you? And I think that was extremely true. So I actually spoke to one of my friends who's Chinese and had a better understanding of the culture, did my research on acupuncture as well, and found it really fascinating to learn something new and to use it as an opportunity to learn something new. And when I next spoke with the patient, I also learned that I should involve family members. That's such an important part of, of Chinese culture. I involved her daughter in the conversation. I learned a few words in Cantonese. And had a very, the outcome was completely different. She felt that I really respected her as an individual. And by the end of the conversation, with complete informed consent, she took the medications. So that was really a starting point for me in terms of honing my skills and being a better doctor and really reaching out to patients from different cultures. And then I kind of paused and started thinking, what are the things about my culture that maybe other people equally may not understand that I can help them? And that it's, it's really taken its, its way from there. It's uh, a good example. You just mentioned the uh, Middle Eastern culture. What are the specifics um, Middle Eastern culture that might not be that understandable in London, in the UK? Could you give some examples of that? I think there's a lot. And in the Middle East, because it's an ancient it's an ancient part of, of, of this world with a lot of history. It's almost like you have to really understand a lot of depth to really grasp it. Because a lot of our traditions have such a long-standing history. Um, and I think one of the things that don't necessarily um, aren't always obvious in the West is 
the the importance in involving your family. Uh, obviously, everyone has their different structure, and I, it's not uh, this is not a global phenomenon. But in some Middle Eastern families, I'd say um, the involvement of elders in the family is such an important concept. Even if you feel that you're talking to, for example, you, if you're looking after a child and the child came with their parents, you feel that you're really speaking to the parents to get to the best decision for the child and to get consent. But a lot of the time, those parents also feel that they want to involve their elders. Like if there's an elder in the family or if it's usually the grandfather or grandmother, and they are also part of the decision-making. So sometimes you can get into the spiral where you're having a conversation with the parents, they go home, they come back and they have a different point of view now. And I feel it's a lot easier if we understand the elder concept is uh, when we have situations similar to this, is we actually just invite the grandparents in or the elders in um, to the conversation. And uh, they are, it, it puts a lot less pressure on the parents to come with a decision and it's more of a unified decision. And um, the parents feel that they're, you know, they're doing this decision with their family. They are better supported. Um, their child is going to be better supported because everyone is on the same page and the outcome is just so far better. Um, so I'd say that's one thing. It's also sometimes um, difficult to discuss Middle Eastern culture without discussing the spiritual elements because we do have, I mean, religion has a very high presence in the Middle East, whether it be the most common ones would be Islam and Christianity. And uh, the practice of them and how they are important to people's lives is so important to understand. So respecting um, elements such as uh, anything from the rituals we have when someone is born to the rituals we have when someone passes away, and particular things that are particular to our rituals with that. Or for instance, Ramadan which is a time of year where Muslims fast from dawn to, to sunset and how medications need to be modified, the timings of your medication need to be modified to enable that person to fast and having open conversations about how fasting can not necessarily be the best thing for their health. And of course, in that case, it's absolutely understandable in our faith in Islam to, for that person to not fast if it's not advised by a medical professional. But just knowing what these different rituals are is extremely helpful in advising the patient in a more realistic way, in a way that they can follow the treatment as well. That's very interesting. You mentioned in the beginning that living in London and working as a cultural consultant helped you understand better your original culture, Middle Eastern culture. So what were the insights? and? How do you feel that distance, uh, the Middle East, living in London, or maybe it is closer to you despite the physical distance? I, I think that's a great question. There are some aspects that are particular to living in London, I'd say. And then there are some aspects just being in a situation where you have to explain your culture in a very understandable way in general. So it helps me understand how to communicate uh, and be proud of, of where I'm from. I think it's very unfortunate that whilst during the time I was growing up, there's been a lot of negative media about the Middle East or misunderstanding towards the Middle East, whereas the majority of people are just regular people going to regular jobs and, and just trying to make a life for their family and be happy. And 
it, it helps me really understand. I think one of the things I really looked into is better understanding how rich our, our history and our culture is and understanding how uh, a lot of it's it, it particularly like in fr international friendships that we've had with other cultures. I, I, I did more research in terms of the clothes we wear. Where does that come from? Why do we wear these colors? Which other cultures were we influenced by to, to, in terms of looking at the modern way Arabs dress? Where, where does that come from? And there's a lot of Asian influence and Japanese influence and, and Indian influence. And it's so interesting to see the medley of all these different things and how they make such a beautiful and rich uh, culture, you know, uh, until today. Equally, I think living in London, what's so beautiful about London is that it really captures history from all over the world. You just have to go to a museum and you can see a lot of art artifacts from the Middle East just here. So that was a huge learning experience for me. I, I managed to explore, I, I would go to sometimes the scripture rooms and museums to, to see like old scriptures, a lot of them haven't necessarily been, you know, uh, closely examined. So I'd be one of the few people who would read them and the Arabic hasn't changed, which is very useful. So I can still read them and understand what they mean. Um, and the English language is a little bit more difficult. I think if I read Shakespearean, I may not understand what it means completely today, but with Arabic, it's the same. So I can read and understand, oh, this person was a mathematician and this person was an engineer and this person, you know, invented this. So that was definitely a, a really nice opportunity to learn more about my culture by living abroad. A little earlier, you mentioned certain circumstances and rituals that should be taken into account when treating Middle Eastern patients in the UK. Fasting is one example. You also mentioned birth. Coming into this world is a special moment in all cultures. What is the important setup for these moment in life uh, in Arabic culture. It's a very beautiful time. I recently had a baby, so I got to experience in person. One of the rituals we have is when a baby's born, you have to whisper the babies, you have to name the baby. So you whisper their name into their ear. You also say the adhan. So I think if someone understands, you know, what they're seeing, if they see like a parent or a grandparent pick up the baby and start whispering their ear, it's just nice to know what that's about. It's they're actually giving them their name and they're giving them, you know, blessings and welcoming them into this world. And of course, other world religions do similar things, I guess, with Christianity, you have a baptism and with Judaism, you have, you know, different rituals as well. You might be also sometimes surprised by the number of people who would want to visit the baby. <laughs> we do have big families with lots and lots of cousins who, before COVID, of course, used to just flood into the hospital and say hello. That's definitely something that you see with a lot of Middle Eastern families. There's a lot of, it's a huge celebration for us when a baby comes into the family. Yes, of course, it's a very happy moment. And what about uh, the days leading up to delivery? Are there special rituals or signs of care given to the woman? Are there any special requirements? Maybe music, maybe silence, the setup during the year? Oh. With pregnancy, there are certain considerations. There is more caution, as it were, in terms of making sure that the lady is lying down and she's not doing any work and really taking care of herself and, and being very, you know, conservative with her energy. And I feel maybe in the West, we're a little bit more practical. 
with that aspect of things. Women are a little bit more active towards the end of their pregnancy. And it's, I guess, it really depends on preference. There are particular, what I find really great about understanding like an ancient culture is because over time we have a very strong understanding in terms of different kinds of foods and their impacts on, on your health and their impacts in particular on pregnancy. So there are a lot of foods that we avoid during pregnancy. And some of them, and I find it interesting is different cultures. Some cultures, I think in South Asia, they don't eat mangoes or something like that. And then for us, there are certain foods we don't eat. And I'm sure like each culture has a similar menu as it were for <laughs> pregnancy. But what I found really interesting is, for instance, we don't have turmeric. Like turmeric is something we, mm -hmm. we think is not beneficial in pregnancy, although it's very beneficial when you're not pregnant. And there have been recent studies that show that if you take turmeric in very high amounts, in particular, people take supplements, it does actually cause uterine contractions. So that's obviously not what you want to have during pregnancy. So that's very valuable, I think, as part of our culture, just, you know, really maintaining that old, old age knowledge, because a lot of it rings true and the science is catching up. Another question I wanted to discuss with you is the difference between truly understanding and being tolerant. What is the line between these two notions, in your opinion, and how do you handle both of them? I think the aim is always being able to understand. The thing is, when you're understanding something, it doesn't mean that you too have to follow suit or celebrate it or, you know, believe in it. But it's just about understanding that the notion of it and where it's come from. As opposed to tolerance, I think is, is, it's not a bad thing. But I think it's something you apply in a situation where be respectful. Someone has a different point to point of view to you. You don't necessarily understand why, but you're like, you know what? I'm going to respect you. I'm going to give you your space. I, you can do what you want with your time and your lifestyle and I'll do what I want. And that's, I think, a good starting point in some sense that you're being respectful. But what really, I, what I find really enriching is when I really get to understand for instance, with the example I gave you about my patient who came from China, who was visiting from China, and her desire to have acupuncture, I could have easily just been tolerant and said, okay, I understand your point of view. I explained to you my point of view, and it's really up to you what you want to decide. But going that extra mile and really understanding, okay, what is acupuncture? How does it work? Uh, why is it? I, I really wanted to, to understand why was it an important part of you know, her decision making? And what are the things that she's really concerned about? That level of human connection and that level of richness in, that you can have in your life by really understanding what's going on about you, for me, it's just, it's really exciting. And I wouldn't, I would always like to choose that versus tolerance. Absolutely. I agree. Understanding brings you closer to other people. And yeah, it's a deeper level of connection, as you mentioned. Preparing for this interview, I read uh, some details uh, about you on your website, and you mentioned that you are also an artist. Oh. What kind of art do you practice, and how do you balance your work and your art practice? <laughs> I read it more of the arts nowadays. Being a mom and working has made it a little bit more tricky. So the art I'm practicing, I'm probably going to be practicing in the next few days. It's going to be more so with my baby, like as he's growing up. But 
I've always really loved arts ever since I was very young. I was just constantly drawing. I mean, if you looked at my books from school, there's just scribbles and doodles all over the book. And it also helped me. I mean, I'm very grateful. I was particularly really good at school, but the way I would understand certain concepts would be artistically as well. So I would just draw what I understood from the text and I would see it visually and that would help me remember the concept. And I really just matured. I love sketching. I, I, I dabbled a bit with drawing with charcoal, which I really like because of the contrast that you can build. But in particular, I think the the art modality I most commonly use would be oil painting. And I like abstract art. I like the art that kind of, I just leave it to your interpretation. You can look at it and, and make of it what you wish. And when I was very young, I had to, an amazing art teacher who really, she really was so supportive and uh, drove me forward to take part in a um, in an art comp in an art competition that was on the level of the city I was living in. I was living in Riyadh, and I was very happy to have won fourth place at that at that point. And that really made me feel like, oh, this is something I love. And it's it's really funny because the art competition was held at a hospital called King Faisal Specialist Hospital, and I came back to that hospital many years later when I started uh, studying medicine for an internship there. So it was a nice way to kind of, you know, bring everything full circle. And I feel that art and medicine are very closely linked. Understanding arts and humanities and medicine is very closely linked. It's not just a science. You really have to understand people and understand where they're coming from. I feel it's just, it's crucial to, to your work as a clinician. Yes, I agree. Um, medicine has a different tool set, I would say, which is... Uh medication, equipment, and things like that. And an artist has just a paint, a brush, or clay, or whatever. But the initial impulse is to really understand what's in front of you, what's around you. Absolutely. I, I love that, actually. That's a, very, that's a very beautiful way to put it. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And now I would like to ask you, my traditional questions uh, that I ask all my guests. The title of this podcast, Being Modern, Being Human, what does this mean to you, being modern and being human? I, I think it's a beautiful title. And I actually, if you don't mind, after I give my answer, I'd love to know what it means to you because uh, it's, it's, a very, it's a very nice concept. I think in the modern time that we're living in, it can sometimes... Our interactions with others is becoming very digital, especially after the COVID pandemic. I've noticed that people in some sense have become more distant. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're texting somebody and you have a lot of misunderstanding, but then you call them on the phone and you can easily, through tone and, and the many other aspects of communication, really find common ground very quickly. And I feel that in some sense, it's important to always maintain your humanity, even in the modern world that we're living in. And it's only going to be modified and our communication is going to be modified even further with, you know, upcoming technologies. And we're hearing about what's happening with artificial intelligence and what's happening with the metaverse. And what I really hope is that we don't lose what it really means to be human and connecting as human beings. 
And what I'm also particularly concerned about is I can see with the generation that's using social media a lot is that by way of using social media and social media uses a particular algorithm to show you information that it thinks you're going to like. So it's going to show you more of your opinion. It's going to show you more of your own thought processes. It's going to show you people that you will agree with and, and like immediately. But it's not showing you reality and truth overall. And it's so easy, it's easy to be stuck in that echo chamber. And that's why I really, I feel that it's so important by being modern and being human is going beyond what social media is showing you and really having real life conversations with others, searching for things that are new to you, going to, you know, learning in a more natural way and going to a library and picking up books, asking people for recommendations and seeking things that are beyond your own preferences. And I would say that would be a central element to being modern and being human at the same time for me. But I would this, love to hear yours. This is so beautiful. I agree with you. For me, humanity and modernity is all about authenticity. It's being able to uh, connect with your inner world, your your inner self. And I believe that everything we need is inside us. Of course, we have a lot of desires and many of them, as you mentioned, are imposed by society. Exploring more your own soul helps you understand other people and the world around you and makes you, makes you happier. We experience a lot of pressure today. The social media tells us how to look, how to behave. And although you may think logically, I'm not like that, but still there is that impact. And feeling yourself with substance makes you re more resilient to, the, to that influence and gives you more freedom because that gives you choice. What? to love and what not to love. Amazing. Amazing. No, it's so beautiful. And I really wish for your message to grow because it's a very important message. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michelle. It was an amazing conversation. I wish you all the success with your consultancy and your family life and just be happy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy being modern, being human, I'd love it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback is so valuable to me and helps you make the show better. And if you haven't already, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.